when the Apostle Paul wrote to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, he told Peter to shepherd the flock of God. What an awesome responsibility to shepherd God's people. There's a lot involved in shepherding God's people. To be a shepherd over God's people means to have the responsibility of leading God's people. God's people, just like sheep, are prone to getting lost, getting injured and being left in a state of vulnerability unless they are cared for by a shepherd. It's important. It's an important responsibility of a pastor who is the shepherd to lead the sheep. So he leads the sheep, but he also tends to God's people. A pastor uh, is one who knows uh, the aches, the heartaches, the sorrows, the joys of those under his care so that he can, he can tend to their needs so that they aren't overcome by uh, physical ills or by spiritual or emotional suffering. He, he's there to encourage the sheep and to ensure they, they grow to maturity in Christ. So he, he, he leads, he tends. However, uh, the essential, the most important thing a shepherd does is that of feeding the sheep. A pastor feeds God's people. He shepherds God's people by preaching and teaching God's Word to them. Just how important is this part of shepherding? In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus is talking to Peter. The same Peter that Paul wrote to. Don't miss that. There's, we need to understand that. And Jesus charges Peter to shepherd his sheep. Very specifically, Jesus charges Peter to feed my sheep. My is a critical word there. The sheep belong to Jesus. Feed my sheep, Peter. Jesus... Uh, had asked Peter that question three times, to which Peter responds three times, Yes, Lord, you know I, I love you. And based on his response that he loved Jesus, Jesus says, If you love me, Peter, you will feed my sheep. So loving Jesus, Richard, equals feeding his sheep. J.I. Packer in his book, A Quest for Godliness, says, We pastors shall never perform a more important task than preaching. If we're not willing to give time to sermon preparation, we are not fit to preach and have no business in the ministry at all. Wow. He argues that the well-being of the church today depends in large measure on a revival of preaching in the Puritan vein. Now, Here's what he means by the Puritan vein. For the Puritan, faithful preaching was the basic ingredient to faithful pastoring. Teaching God's Word, preaching God's Word, is the primary task of any man who desires to be in pastoral ministry. Any form of pastoral ministry must come with the understanding that the preaching and teaching of God's Word is the primary thing that he does. It's the most important thing he does. Now, some of you might be saying... You're talking about preaching, but Richard is not the main preacher here. But he's, he's preached enough for you on occasions when I've been gone or even when I've been here. He's not the main preacher, but his role requires that he teach God's Word, and that's the primary task of what he does. 
He leads, he tends, but he must teach and preach God's Word. That's the primary thing that Richard does in his role. And who knows, uh, this is an inside joke for me and Richard, one day Richard may be in that main preacher role. He always goes, I don't think so. I keep praying that God will change his mind one day. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, Paul says that preaching is important because God says it's important. Uh, Richard, the charge to you is this. Preaching the Word and hearing the Word are essential for God's church. Preaching the Word and hearing the Word are essential for God's church. Therefore, you must preach the Word. And by the way, church, this charge is not just for Richard. Don't kick back and tune out. There's going to be application for you here today, so listen closely. If you're looking at your handout, you see the main idea. Preaching the Word and hearing the Word are essential for God's church. Here in these verses, we have Paul's... This is Paul's final words to his son in the ministry, Timothy. This is the last thing that he's going to say to Timothy. Paul could not have emphasized the necessity of preaching any more strongly than what he does here. Your handout says, verse 1, notice the importance of this charge. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. Paul's exhortations here in verses 1 through 5 are given to a preacher, and by extension to all faithful preachers of the gospel. But even when the exhortations are given to preachers in Scripture, there are numerous practical applications for every Christian. Paul is about to give a charge to Timothy. A charge is simply an exhortation to do something very important. Paul is charging Timothy. I'm charging you, Richard, to do something very, very important. Paul is giving a charge, a call to do something very important. Before he gives that charge... Before he calls Timothy to do this very important thing, he wants to impress upon Timothy how serious this is. Me and Rex were talking earlier. He was pointing out to me, he said, man, I, I read this carefully. He said, this is, this is a big deal. You stand in awe of what you're going to do when you're called into pastoral ministry. How, how significant this is. Paul wants to impress upon Timothy how serious a charge it is that he, he's going to give him. And notice how he does it. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. It, it's almost like Paul is taking Timothy into the divine courtroom and he's swearing him in as a minister. And he's administering this oath to Timothy and he calls on God to be a witness. How many of you like to go to court and have God be there as your witness? That, might, that would be a good thing. This is a good thing here, but it's a, a fearful thing, a, a reverence, an, an awe thing. The audience at this charge, Richard, is God Himself. Paul wants the preacher to know that what he does, he does in the presence of God. God is his audience. When you come and you stand before God's people, you're feeding the sheep, but guess who the audience is that's most important? God. Notice again in, in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And you're like, oh, God's there, but Jesus is there as well. Timothy, I want you to remember something about the Redeemer Jesus. He's not only your Savior, He's coming to judge the living and the dead. That's who is in the audience hearing 
you proclaim His Word. Richard, I want you to remember something about Jesus. He's not only your Savior, He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Richard, it's in the presence of Jesus that you're going to respond to this charge. Richard, you and I are going to be judged by Jesus at His return as to our faithfulness to His Word. Richard, you will stand before Jesus one day and give an account of how well you served the flock, how faithfully you preached the Word. Church, are you listening? You too will be judged on your faithful obedience to that preached Word. You don't get off the hook. You will give an account for your obedience or lack thereof to the Word of God. The pastor, the preacher will be judged on his faithfulness or his lack thereof to preaching God's Word. You, church, will be judged as well. You, not the preacher, will be responsible for obeying or not obeying the Word of God. Again, verse 1, I charge you by His appearing in His kingdom. Uh, Any good gospel preacher longs for the day of the coming of Christ. We long for that day. When every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We long for that day. We long for the day when Jesus will come back. Richard, I charge you by that hope. I charge you to long from the very depths of your being for the return of Jesus. And based on that longing, preach the word, point God's people to that glorious day. That's their hope, Richard. I charge you to preach and point your people and point the people of God to that day. Well, that's the importance of the charge. But verse 2, notice the substance of the charge. It's preach the word. That's the main verb. That's the main, that's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In order to fully grasp uh, the charge and its substance, you have to look back to chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, to fully grasp. If you look back there in chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, listen to what's being said. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Falling on the heels of that great statement about uh, the inspiration and the sufficiency of Scripture, Paul draws a natural conclusion for the preacher and the church's practice. The serious charge is to preach the Word. Based on what I just said there, you must preach the Word. Paul gives five essentials for the preacher here in one verse. Notice them. Preach, be ready, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. All of them are pointing to that one central charge, Richard. Preach the word. Notice, Richard, you're to be ready to preach God's word. Notice what it says in season, out of season. Now, there's some misunderstanding as to what that means, but it for sure means this whether it's convenient or not, whether it's popular or not, whether it's welcome or not, whether it's obeyed or not. You are to preach the Word. Remember the prophet Jeremiah? God told him to go preach to his people. And he said, oh, just, in, just let me let you know something, Jeremiah. Before you ever go preach, they're never going to listen to you. They're not going to obey you. 
But what did Jeremiah do? Go preach the word. You got to be ready, Richard. When it's convenient, when it's not popular, when it's not welcome, whether they obey or not, you proclaim the word. Then, Richard, you are to reprove and to rebuke. In short, you're to warn the unbeliever as well as the believer against their sins and about the errors of this world. You are to speak to man's conscience and aim for conviction with a view to repentance. You're to remind us of the consequences of sin, not to water down these things. See, it's not enough to tell people of, uh, of, of God and what's right. You also need to tell them what's wrong. You've got to be ready. You've got to reprove and rebuke. And next in verse 2, Richard says, Richard, it says, you're to exhort your listeners. The idea is that of making an appeal to the will and the emotions of the hearer and encouraging them toward right behavior. Here's what God's Word says. Here's what we do that's right. Here's what we do that's wrong. Exhort them to turn, repent, and follow Jesus more faithfully. Encourage them toward right behavior. That's what that word means. Exhort them. So there's more than just teaching it. You've got to call on people to obey and respond. The Richard, the charge here is to preach the Word, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The Word speaks to men and women in different ways here. Notice there was three ways. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Three different ways of doing that. The challenge, Richard, is to learn and be skillful in applying it because everyone's different. Some people you can reprove, some you can rebuke, and some you can exhort. You've got to learn how to do that. And it can take a long time to learn how to do that. And then lastly, in verse 2, um, remember this. Preach the Word with complete patience and teaching. Most of you hear that word patience and you, you just go, no. We're impatient people. People require time to change. They don't always get it the first time around. So the preacher of the Word must say it over and over again as he teaches the Word of God. However, patience does not mean tolerating open sin, but rather bearing with people's weaknesses. But the preacher doesn't just leave people in their weakness. He gives them careful instruction so that they can grow in Christ. You, you're ready, Richard. You approve, you rebuke, you exhort, but you have to do that with patience. Here's some application for us. I'm going to start with the church first. <clears throat> Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, in order for you to be a faithful minister, you must preach the Word. That it must mean that the people of God need to hear the Word of God preached. And when is that done? For us, it's on Sunday mornings. If God calls on a man to preach, that must mean the people need to hear Paul is telling Timothy what the people of God need. And if this is what the people of God need, then we need to be praying that God would cause our hearts to want to hear what we need. We need to be praying, God, help my heart to want to hear what I need to hear. Pray, God, develop in me a desire for what I need, not for what I think I need. Develop in me a desire for what I really need, not what I superficially want. 
Lord, make me long to sit under the ministry of Your Word. And church, you must pray for your preachers. Pray for them to be faithful. Because that's what is best for you. Notice next on your handout, verses 3 through 4, the context of this charge. Richard, in verses 3 and 4, Paul gives the urgency for preaching the Word. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is giving the reason why it's so urgent for Timothy to be diligent in his work. Because there's going to come a time, Timothy, Richard, preachers, when they won't listen. People in the church particularly. That's what he's talking about here. The world won't listen. The world has never listened, but he's talking about the the church here. There's going to come a time, Timothy, when they're going to prefer messengers of their own liking as opposed to God's men. So Richard, it's urgent that you preach and that you preach the Word. In verse 3, you notice there the words sound teaching. That refers to what's healthy. Healthy. How many of y'all want to be healthy physically? I'll get your hand in the air on that. How many of you want to be healthy spiritually? Then the man of God's got to feed you the Word. Sound teaching, preaching the Word, results in healthy Christians. It results in a healthy church. It results in healthy, godly living. Richard, there'll be times when people, again in particular God's people, they, they will not want sound, healthy teaching. Notice what it says, but having itching ears. Some of you have translations that say ears tickled. You visualizing that. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That, They'll they'll find teachers who tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. There's coming a time. Some will even turn away, it says, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And you're going, and I'm going to go into ministry and I'm going to preach God's Word and this is how people are going to respond. Richard, There's a tremendous temptation to the preacher for the need to be liked. To give people ice cream, a popular worldly myth, instead of the spinach of God's truth. If you want everyone to love you, go sell ice cream. Church, you have a responsibility as hearers of the word not to reject the spinach and want only the ice cream. Or to go find a place that only serves ice cream, you will not go spiritually healthy if you do. And I also want to say this. You shouldn't judge a man's ministry by whether you like him or not. But rather by answering the question, does what he preached line up with God's Word? But what if people don't listen? What does Richard do then? Verse 5. The perseverance of the charge. As for you, always be sober-minded. Enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Notice what he says there. As for you, Richard, as for you, in verse 5, Paul repeats this charge to be different. Richard, you must take your lead from these verses. Verses 3 and 4. 
When people won't listen, Richard, you must keep preaching the word anyway. This is the third time in dealing with these difficult last days that Paul has said, but as for you. He did it in chapter 3, verse 10 and verse 14. Here's what's going on, but as for you, preacher, this is what you do. It's a piercing reminder that a man of God must go against the flow, even at times against the Christian flow. Paul gives four commands that show Timothy how to conduct his ministry even if people aren't responsive. First, he says, always be sober-minded. Literally, that means don't be drunk. And you're going, absolutely, I want my preacher drunk. When, when people drink and get drunk with what is false, Richard, you're the designated driver. Stay faithful and continue preaching the Word. Always. What does always mean, church? Always. Second, endure suffering. Some translations use the word hardship. Richard, if you preach the truth of God's Word, you will be criticized. Just tuck that one away. And remember one day, you'll be criticized. Third, it says do the work of an evangelist. Richard, don't get sidetracked by those in the church who may criticize you. Make preaching the good news your life's work. Preach in order that the lost get saved. Preach so that the person who is a Christian in name only, preach so that they get saved as well. Do the work in evangelists. Call people through the preaching of God's Word to trust in Christ. Call on people to turn from their sin, to repent of their sin which separates them from God and condemns them to an eternity separated from Him. Call people to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus and His perfect life, His death, and His resurrection. Call people to believe in that. Then finally, it says, fulfill your ministry. Richard, don't leave the ministry and go into an easier line of work just because you run into opposition. Fulfill your mission as a preacher of God's truth. Preaching the Word and hearing the Word are absolutely necessary for God's people. There is no other option for the preacher. Preaching God's Word is your primary task. Church, your responsibility is to hear the preaching of God's Word with the view to obey it. Let me kind of conclude by saying this. God uses His Word to build His church. There is no other way of building the church. For the congregation, this means that our job as listeners is not to listen as spectators to be entertained, but as disciples who want to learn and follow Jesus better. You show up on Sunday to hear the man of God preach, or say, I want to hear God's Word, so I will be a better follower of Jesus. It's not to leave asking what we got out of the sermon, the music, as if we're the ultimate persons that need to be satisfied with the worship service. It's to come each week asking, what must I do to conform my beliefs and my actions to the Word of God that I hear today so that I might please Him? Richard, that's my charge to you. 
I don't think I've told you anything that you didn't already know. But preachers need to be reminded sometimes of the weightiness of this call that God calls us into to be His men, to be His shepherds, to feed His people. It's an awesome responsibility. You read these verses, church, and you're going, not me. I don't want that responsibility. Some of you thinking that? Man, I don't want to bear that burden. What about your your pastors who week in and week out are called upon and challenged by God to preach His Word? Think of the weightiness that's upon them in their role to feed God's people God's Word. So at this time, I'm going to ask uh, Richard...